Hello, welcome to the full unedited version. Well, apart from obviously there are some edits because of things that we said which just are not apparently acceptable in any form of human society. But predominantly unedited version of Josie and Robin's book shambles. Hello and welcome to another episode of Book Shambles. Just some quick important information and admin off the top. You may have noticed this week we've announced uh, some of the guests who are going to be joining us for the Space Shambles live show at Albert Hall, uh, Royal Albert Hall on June 15. Obviously Robin and Commander Chris Hadfield are hosting that evening of science and music and comedy and we're going to be joined by... Uh, Professor Jim Al-Khalili is one of our guests. Festival of the Spoken Nerd, that's uh, Matt Parker, Steve Mould and Helen Arney. They're going to be doing something that uh, I promise you they won't be doing again. It's a one-time only deal, what they're doing uh, as part of the show. And also... Apollo 9 astronaut Rusty Schweikart is going to be with us. He was a lunar lander test pilot. He, uh, in space, he tested the, the life support systems in the suits that Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin wore on the moon. He, he saved Skylab. Uh, he's an absolute legend of, of human spaceflight. And he will be joining us live at the Albert Hall, where tickets uh, start at nine quid. So, like... Literally £9 is the, the cheapest ticket, uh, so you can see an Apollo astronaut speak at the Albert Hall for less than a tenner, which is quite frankly ridiculous. So you can go to royalalberthall.com to get tickets for that, which is also where you can get tickets for our four Book Shambles live shows that we're doing there on June 4 and June 11. Uh, on June 4, one of our guests is Professor Lucy Green, the solar scientist, and we haven't announced the other guest yet. And we also announced this week who one of our guests on June 11 is. Uh, since it's all space-themed, we thought you can't do a space-themed series of book shambles without talking about David Bowie, and who better to have on to talk about Bowie than Adam Buxton? So he will be joining us on the 11th. Uh, tickets for that as well at royalalberthall.com. And so on to today's episode, which is the last one that we recorded in uh, the stretch where Josie was away touring or uh, when she was off ill. Uh, so don't worry, she's all fine now. And we're back to, as of next week, we're back to normal uh, episodes with Robin and Josie in the studio with uh, our different guests. We've got, uh, who have we got coming up? We've got Richard Holloway. We've got uh, Sarah Pascoe is back on the show. And uh, we've got an, uh, one coming up with a very special guest that uh, we won't tell you just yet. We'll just leave that hanging there. Um, so this is the, the last episode that is just uh, just Robin and a guest. And it's a bit of a different episode as well. It was recorded in a kitchen to begin with, but also with our guest, Grace Petrie. She talked about the, the books uh, and writing that sort of inspired her work. The whole episode is also punctuated with uh, Grace's songs and the songs that come out of the sort of things that they're talking about in the episode. So I hope you enjoy it. And here is Robin and Grace. Hello, welcome to Book Shambles. And uh, today it is one quarter of Lefty Scum and 100% of Grace Petrie, <laughs> uh, the uh, singer, lyricist and broadcaster. Uh, so I wanted to talk about uh, your teenage books, the books that, helped make you who you are mm, yeah I was thinking about this when you were asking me um, to do this because I I don't read very intelligent books uh, this is what I said to you on the phone uh, and it's one of those things that it's a lot of pressure isn't it doing a, a podcast about the books you read it's like when people come around to your house and you, you turn the spines around of the books that are quite shameful trash and show the ones that all look good um well, I think the most shaming thing about you, actually, from mm. the knowledge I have, is uh, that always you've, you've a lot of your garb, a lot of your clothing, and a lot of the iconography around uh, your previous houses mm. has involved Marvel superhero comic books, <laughs> and I'd always presumed that you were therefore obsessively uh, reading Silver Surfer yeah. and The Amazing Spider-Man, and it yeah. turns out... You just like it either in a frame or in your pyjamas. That's true, yeah. No, I do like the films, which I think in the eyes of proper comic book readers makes me the worst person in the world. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I think when I was a teenager, that stuff became quite... Um, it was one of the easiest ways to be androgynous, basically, was the things that I could wear were band T-shirts and superhero T-shirts. So that's what I wore. Mm. Um, and then, I don't know, something that I've carried in, carried into adulthood with me. But when I was a teenager, I think... Um, uh, I, I kind of only read fiction, which is interesting. My partner it reads almost exclusively non-fiction. Can I just, by the way, comment on the fact that there's... The ma- I don't know if the microphone's picking this up or not. <laughs> but there might be a weird sound in the background. Directly behind me is uh, a cat that has recently had an upset stomach and is obviously yeah. feeling a lot better, uh, eating an enormous amount of food out of a bowl. So yes. there is a strange kind of sound of meat licking that is mm. occurring. And I'm just but, worried that some people are going, what is that sound yeah. of meat licking? Be, it's meat licking. Let it be known, listeners, that it's probiotic food to the tune of £55 purchased <laughs> this morning from the vet. So uh, I'm glad to see that it's not going to waste. And indeed, glad to hear that it's not going to waste. So anyway, um, sorry, you were yeah, saying, so, so in terms so of... So yeah, my partner reads almost exclusively non-fiction. And I find non-fiction really hard to read. And I think... Um, not hard to read, but I don't... I, I, books are very much about escapism for me. My mum uh, reads loads of fiction. My mum absolutely devours fiction of all kinds, really. Um, but I think I, I spend so much time immersed in the news and immersed in politics that I don't find reading then for non-fiction, I don't find that, uh, I don't find that kind of pleasurable. Mm. So I always kind of read, read a lot of fiction and of varying degrees of quality. But when I was, um, I think when I was 13, uh, we did To Kill a Mockingbird in school and I, that did have a real profound effect on me. And I think like these, these things that I was developing at the time, like that would go on to inform my kind of wider um, career and, you know, life arc. Um, but these ideas of social justice and politics and uh, and the idea, I think, of like using art to really translate a really um, potentially contentious message, potentially divisive message, but a message that is one that kind of politically needs to be said and, you know, the, the way that stories can so magnificently move people in a way that hard facts can't, you know what I mean? Like, I think um, To Kill a Mockingbird, still all these years later, is, you know, it's still kind of so evocative when you think about it and when you think about the the plight of those characters and the really, you know, deeply complex characters and the things that they were struggling with and... and you know, working out kind of race relations and stuff and, uh, you know, and sort of analysing the, not just the obvious racism of the kind of sort of obvious villain of the piece, do you know what I mean, but the kind of other, the other racism of the other townspeople and the various different levels to which that plays. And um, so that was, that was a very... Had a had a big impact on me studying that, and I had a I had a wonderful English teacher while I was doing that as well. So that's really stayed with me a lot throughout the years. I think, um, yeah, that was a big that was a big teenage book. Othello as well. Othello, uh, uh, you probably were expecting Othello might make an appearance because yes. I uh, wrote a song about Othello. If uh, um, there's no reason why listeners would know, actually, if listeners well, we might pop a little bit in so they can okay. hear. But there's, there's a song called Iago. There's Iago sitting on my shoulder Every time I hold her Telling me I'm never gonna make the grade Telling me I'm stupid Kind of self-deluded If I think I got my happy ending made And every time he calls It ends up in a fall He stands there and he doesn't help me at all Sometimes I think that I'm Just running out of time Just heading for the crime When I let myself break my heart with my own two hands Put a bullet in the head Of the great romance of my life And I know That Iago Will be the only one Left alive 
Sometimes I just don't have the energy To be the things I'm meant to be Every time you're taking me in your arms It's like you drown out the alarms Going off inside of me Nothing but serenity yeah. So lay me down, my darling In your bed You lay my demons But there's the Argo sitting on my shoulder Every time I hold her Telling me I'm never gonna make the grade Telling me I'm stupid, kind of self-deluded If I think I got my happy ending made And every time he calls, it ends up in a fool He stands there and he doesn't help me at all Sometimes I think that I'm just running out of time just heading for the crime when I let myself break my heart with my own two hands Put a bullet in the head of the great romance of my life And I know that Iago will be the only one left alive He'll be the only one left alive He'll be the only one left alive You know that I'm my own worst enemy Yeah, so I wrote a song um, called Iago. Yeah, I think Othello is amazing. And I was, and I was one of these kids who... Um, I loved Shakespeare, always. And it was, like, my favourite thing to study. and Because uh, I have a very, very, like... My mind is all arts and words, and I was hopeless at uh, maths and science completely. Um, and it's funny, isn't it? Because the work that I've done with you, like um, doing that night for for Charles Darwin and the night celebrating Richard Feynman, trying to write songs about that, um, about those people, and I just knew I was not going to be able to write songs about the science. So I, so I tried to write songs about the people and the human stories behind it. And that's always been the way that my mind has gone very much, you know. Um, my sister and I are very much like artsy brains and my brothers are very much kind of practical, scientific brains. Um, although that's a myth, isn't it, apparently, these days? Yeah, that you don't have to. Mm. It's a, it, you know, culture, of course, plays a part. Encouragement mm. plays a part. Great yeah. teachers play a part. The, the teacher that suddenly inspires you with an anecdote, whether it's an anecdote about the, you know, the nature of the universe or, or, or the nature of uh, Othello. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I know, but, um, yeah, I love Shakespeare. And, and I remember being... It's that funny thing, isn't it, when you're, like, a teenager and... Um, I hope it's got better in the time since I was at school, which is coming on for 20 years ago. Um, but that thing of being it being so uncool to be passionate about anything that you were studying, that that was like the biggest, you know, the most loser-esque thing to do, was to be passionate about something you're actually studying. And I remember... So many of my friends being like, oh, God, we're doing Shakespeare again. And I just absolutely loved Shakespeare always uh, and still do, you know. Um, but, yeah, so uh, Othello was big, big, uh, have big you love seen of it? mine. Have you, have you seen any? Yeah. Yeah, I saw it at the Crucible with uh, Dominic West as Iago. And I always forget his name, the guy who played Lester Freeman in The Wire. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look it up now, <laughs> yeah. ladies and gentlemen. Look it up now. Yeah. Shall I Google? Yeah, I, I saw it with... Uh, no, Google it. I, yeah. I, I saw it with uh, Ben Kingsley as Othello, mm. um, where they kind of done that change, where they said that as a Moorish person, he, he, you know, he may well have had you know, kind of more uh, a Turkish uh, right. kind of okay, appearance. Yeah, and, sure. and David Suchet as Iago, who was like... Oh, wow. He was like a real panto villain in a yeah. good way. Mm-hmm. The way he did the soliloquies were, were so enticing. Mm. Clark Peters, that's it. Clark Peters, of Clark course, Peters who is also in the, yeah. the, the brilliant, one of my favourite films of all time, Mona Lisa. 
Oh, okay. Third Bob Hoskins. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I love The Wire. And it was when I was living in Sheffield at the time, and my best mate and I, who was my housemate, he'd got me into The Wire. And uh, they obviously that's just like amazing, The Wire. Uh, and then there was this production of Othello at, uh, in Sheffield at the Crucible, and it was uh, Carl Peters and Dominic West, and it was just absolutely amazing. It was one of the best things I've ever seen. Um, yeah, that was cool. That was really good. Um, so I always wanted to see it at the Globe, but I only saw... We went to the Globe as, on a school trip, and um, that was one of the comedies. And I'm no, I was never as much of a fan of comedies. I saw with it. I, I saw um, an all male version of Midsummer Night's Dream, oh, okay. which was really intriguing because uh, the lovers are always kind of quite boring in all the productions that I'd seen before. Mm. But suddenly they became really funny. Yeah. It was a bit like I saw um, the production of the birthday party that's on at the moment with Zoe Wanamaker and Stevie Stephen oh, Mangan sure. and yeah. and Toby Jones. And a lot of it's really funny. But then I watched an old version with Joan Plowright and I went, oh, it's amazing. Exactly the same lines. No humour in them. It's delivered now to be very sombre, sombre, sombre. Uh, mm. At the beginning, when, when basically the uh, go, I've made you cornflakes. Mm. Are they nice? Do you like you know, all of that? And mm. it's very funny, the same lines. Yeah. And that's always the, the bit where I think some of those touring productions we were sent to, um, you they were dealing with things with such kid gloves mm. that to create delight or humour is, is this destroying the poetry yeah 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 it's funny that the um, Curve in Mustard they did a, a production in Chicago where they replaced all of the scantily clad female chorus line with very even, almost even more scantily clad male chorus line and it was really ama- it was like a really amazing kind of obviously I'm not I don't want the takeaway from this podcast to be that I favour taking jobs away from women to give them to men. But um, it was really, yeah, it was amazingly, like, made an amazing difference to the way it felt. Now, what about in terms of your influences and your inspiration? With recently, there was a, a, a kind of cosmic shambles exhibition of, uh, of, of superhero women, as in uh, people like uh, Helen Chersky mm-hmm. and Susie Gage, choosing what they would like to see as their superpower. Yeah. And you chose kind of a mixture of both androgyny and also the idea of the butch woman. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have, I don't know, it might not have been in books, but who were the people that when you're growing up, when you're forming that personality, um, did you have inspirations? Well, I mean, I don't want to come across as, um, I think this could sound quite sort of arrogant, but one of the things, one of the reasons that I really wanted to do that for that exhibition was because really, honestly, I can't answer you with anyone that I had growing up. That was kind of my point make, of, of doing that, is that I think, you know, when I was, when I was a teenager, I mean, I um, uh, dress, in quite, I dress in, in quite a masculine way, wear kind of what the world would label as men's clothes, which is something that I take great exception to. But I always did dress like that, and that was something that was very, very innate in me. It's funny, my sister and I met up on Friday night and... Uh, we were talking about how I was when I, I I cut all my hair off when I was three, you know, and she said, "Wow, it's amazing, isn't it? That it was it was there even from then." And I really do think it was that that kind of, um, yeah, I suppose androgyny. Uh, I mean, butchness is like a word that I'm kind of trying to try to bring back and trying to reclaim a little bit from years and years and years of being basically told by society that that is a an inherently unattractive thing. Um, but I really don't, you know. I, I'm, I'm sure there were, I'm sure there were masculine women around when I was young, but they weren't around me because they weren't in mainstream culture. Do you know what I mean? There was no. I mean, it, I just, I remember even lesbians at all being such a rare thing. So f- you know, few and far between, and they were always like played by incredibly straight actresses who looked incredibly feminine and looked like you know, uh, the kind of stereotype of how attractive actresses or feminine actresses have to be to get on TV and get in films in the first place. Um, And I think that it's really, all these years later, you know, I'm 30, and I don't think it's gotten loads better, actually. The only thing I would say is that, you know, I mean, the internet wasn't really a thing when I was a teenager. I remember the first, pretty much the first film that I saw that had lesbians in it uh, was... 
it was a video that I ordered off Amazon. But that was the only, you know, so the internet was just about starting, mm. you know, to, to kind of open those doors to find the culture that you, you know, wanted to find or needed to find for yourself. So it wasn't, you know, and I think these days, you know, young people, they're not totally limited by just what's on TV and what's on films that are, you know, within their their reach, you know, because most people these days have got the whole world basically on their phone, in their pocket. Um, but I still, you know, it's interesting that the, you know, the L word, the, yeah. yeah, the TV show, which was, that came out when I was, I think, 17 uh, and then I think it was on for six years. And recently the creator of it has uh, been talking about doing a reboot. And one of the reasons that kind of a lot of the cast and, uh, and crew and some of the fans kind of come together in the wake of Trump getting elected and saying, well, first of all, you know, the, the idea of bringing this thing out in 2004 or something was that, you know, it was to kind of break down all these boundaries and have a, a show that was kind of about lesbian culture and about, and unapologetically about sort of, you know, very much women-based, you know, very, very few men in it at all. Um, and the idea was that, you know, that would get better as time goes on. And it feels like, you know, the creator of that was saying that it feels like nothing has really replaced uh, that, which is... I think that is true, actually, you know, and, and um, you know, when you kind of analyse butch characters that you see in in anything, you know, the the kind of the kind of stereotype has always been that the any any woman dressing in a masculine way is um, quite predatory, generally quite uncultured, is a bit of a lout, um, probably unhappy, probably unhappy mm. for sure, yeah, um, and very much the the. Just the butt of the joke, just mm. by the way that she looks, um, which is interesting because, you know, when you read sort of, I mean, there's a, there is a lot of bringing back to books. There's a lot of lesbian fiction out there that's written by lesbian authors for lesbian authors, which never really makes particular mainstream um, splashes. But you can find all of it in Gays the Word, in Bloomsbury, mm. and you know, all of it on the internet stuff. And so much of that is by lesbian authors. And it was the first thing I'd ever really come across that fully celebrates as attractive the idea of masculine women, you know. Uh, and and that was kind of really interesting for me in, in kind of putting together the pieces that, you know, most of the films that you see are basically made by men and they're basically made by straight men and they're basically made to sort of um, continue a narrative that there's a certain thing that women want. And it definitely isn't, you know, uh, in any way butch women. It isn't any way, in any way butch lesbians. But actually the reality of, you know, the... And I remember that being a real... You know, when I was kind of <clears throat> 14, 15, I remember... I never had an issue with being gay. I didn't, I didn't want to not be gay, particularly. You know, my family were wonderful and never made me think that it would be an issue being gay at all. But I did have this sense that I was inherently hideous. I was completely unattractive. Um, and I don't know where that, you know, looking back, I think that did just come from this mainstream cultural idea that is uh, really is, is, is present, you know, everywhere there are lesbians. There's like this idea that lesbians are, you know, there's the famous scene in, in Friends where obviously so Ross's uh, ex-wife is a lesbian and has left him for a woman and, you know, no disrespect to those two actresses who did a great job with those parts, but they're both completely feminine women, do you know what I mean? And it's just funny to me that it's like, no, I have a lot of gay friends and there's basically no one I've ever seen on TV who looks like pretty much every gay person I know, do you know what I mean? Like, it's so, the, the, the um, kind of chasm between the reality and how it's represented is so funny to me. But, you know, and then there's the, the, the episode of Friends where they have this wedding and Leah Delaria, who went on to play uh, Big Boo in Orange is the New Black, who's kind of always been typecast in... Not typecast, really, because she is a very British lesbian in real life, but has She's played... She's an amazing this. singer as well. I remember when she yeah. had a kind of real boom time in the early 90s. Mm. Uh, in, in, and I saw her in the... I interviewed, actually, years and years ago, I interviewed her, and she was just, yeah, fascinating and, and brilliant. And mm. 
Yeah, it's. Uh, I think she's playing the Donmar Warehouse when I saw her. Oh yeah. And so yeah. I was quite surprised. I always had one of those moments going. I wonder what happened to Leah. Did I? Oh. Mm. Oh, okay. No, yeah. it's gone pretty well. It has. It has. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you know, she and I. I've read some interesting interviews with her about this kind of thing as well. Um, and obviously, you know, that that episode of, of Friends where she is the the um, she has this kind of bit part as this lesbian at the wedding, and she's. Uh, comes up to Phoebe and asks Phoebe if she wants to dance and that's pretty much the joke the joke is that she you know is this is not me speaking obviously but the 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 the, the point of the joke is how how hideously unattractive this woman is and that she's coming on to Phoebe in that and it's that whole attitude that that it could only ever be quite predatory and I think that I don't know now I'm getting a little bit older and I'm, I am a little bit more confident about the way that I, I, I guess I don't, it's that wonderful thing of, of getting that little bit older and you don't particularly care how you received as much as you did when you were younger. Um, and I, so I'm, I'm, I'm more, much more happy to sort of dress and present in a way that I want to and, and don't worry about how, how that's going to upset people. Or if they're going to receive it badly. Well, dressing how I do, I find I often get mistook by graphic novel fans who judge me on the way I look. But I just like Batman's shirts. I've never read a comic book. Nobody knows that I'm a fraud. When people call me a musician, that makes my palms perspire. I took grade one piano and I never got no higher. If I didn't have this capo, then you'd all see I'm a liar. Nobody knows that I'm a fraud. But I'll get up underneath the lights until I feel adored. And I'll never tell you anything, I think you won't applaud. Oh, it might not always be the truth, but it'll have three chords. Nobody knows that I'm a fraud. Nobody knows that I'm a fraud. And some days I get so scared that we're losing. And some days I'm just so sure we'll never win. And some days I get so knackered from refusing to let that just didn't see anyone that looked like me at all um and it wasn't it's not necessarily a a homophobic thing i think it's i think the idea of being kind of anti-butchness anti-masculine culture is like uh it's a a separate thing all on its own i think um so i I, that's why when you know when when um the cosmic superheroes project came up i was sort of thinking well you know how, how, what's the way that I would want to be seen on a kind of, I don't know, vaguely large scale. Um, and I think that, you know, that's something that is quite important to me, you know. And, I, like, I kind of went through this thing of wanting to be a singer when I was young and just wanting just wanting people to just focus on my songs and basically look at me as little as possible because... And I realised now that was a confidence thing. Um and now I kind of feel like, well, if I'm going to be vaguely in the public eye to, to whatever small degree that I am, if I'm going to be on stage at all, I want to be. I would love to be the thing that I never had for someone. Do you know what I mean? If, if there's an idea, if there's the, the point of like a young 
lesbian coming to a gig of mine and going, oh, right, I can dress like that. That's fine. I can be... And also, you know, like, and this is not in any way a kind of uh, anti-trans rights rhetoric at all, um, which I mean, nothing bothers me more than the kind of false dichotomy of, like, setting up lesbians versus trans people, which I think is complete... Can I swear on this? Yeah, of course. I think that's complete bullshit. But um, I think it, it is really important. I think we all benefit from much more diverse expressions of gender. And I think that um, it's quite important to show girls that you can dress the way that I dress and still be a girl, you know? You know, the, and the, obviously if you're, if you're trans, that's a totally different kettle of fish. But also, you know, there's not just one way to be a woman, there's a million different ways to be a woman. You can look like me and be a woman. And that's something that I definitely think I didn't really have, but... I've come to show you every scar my soul achieved since birth To offer up my heart and all its contents to the earth So you can give it all a price tag And tell me what I'm worth But I'm just trying to make you love me I used to think I wrote my words to try and make a spark To light the way for others who were struggling in the dark But now I know I only write them in the hope they'll leave a mark Yeah, I'm just trying to make you love me different shape The book I did want to talk about actually which uh, is relevant to all this is a book that I read quite recently which I really wish I, I tweeted the author and said I, I really wish that this had existed when I was 15 um, which is a girl it's a, a book that deals with all of this magnificently in a much more way in a much more articulate way than I'm kind of rambling here um, that's called um Girl Man's Up uh, by a, t a Canadian author called M.E. Girard, who's based in Toronto. Um, and it's just about this 15-year-old lesbian called Penn, who is, like, really butch and really masculine. And basically is kind of fighting against this entire world that is trying to categorise her as various different things that she doesn't feel like she is. Like, she has these parents that are very traditional... Uh, and want her to be uh, kind of traditional Portuguese parents who, who just definitely think that she should be very, very feminine and don't understand why, you know, she kind of just wants to be like her big brother and wants to kind of go and work with him in his kind of construction company. Um, and her mum is just saying, you know, you just you just need to dress nicely, you just need to find a nice husband and, uh, and kind of, you know, rejects all of these elements about her identity. But it's told in the, it's written in the first person, and it's a magnificent exploration of, um, I, every line of it I just identified with really, really, really strongly, and I remember feeling so uh, clearly all those things about, like, you know, why, like, why does the world care so much how I dress, you know, why is this such a big problem for people, um, and it's still true, you know, it's, it's still, it's not like that, I don't think that's gone away, I think as attitudes have gotten more you know, hopefully attitudes have gotten more accepting, but, you know, there's still... The uh, CEO of Stonewall is a uh, butch lesbian called Ruth Hunt at the moment, and she um, is great and has, has kind of made loads of statements recently about how, you know, in terms of lesbian culture, like, we're still... We haven't come... We haven't moved on very much from where we were, certainly when I was a teenager, and I think even before that, you know, in terms of the showing people what I would describe as, like, real lesbians. Like, we maybe have, maybe we have more lesbian characters and things, but they're still kind of all played by straight women, or they're played by very, very feminine women. Um, and I think butch representation is something that is really, it is really important. Um, but, yeah, that's a book that I would hugely recommend to anybody who uh, this is relevant to.
I think that you, you reminded me of that in, in terms of role models and, and those uh, ideas. That time a few years ago where we did a gig, I can't remember which town it was, city it was in, I think it might have been Nottingham. And uh, a few months later, you got a letter left for you at a London gig. And it was from someone who said, mm. uh, I was at your gig and I was feeling quite depressed beforehand. No, she came know. up to me. She, oh, came, yeah, she to came up yeah, to you. Came, yeah. yeah, I'll tell you what it was. It was Northampton. It was one of the Val Northampton gigs. And this woman came up to me in the interval. Uh, and uh, I was selling CDs in my capitalist way. As you know, I like to... They are available, aren't they, they online? They are all available, Absolutely. You can order them from my website and you'll receive them in <laughs> six to eight months. Um, uh, and um, this woman came up to me and she looked quite tearful. And she said, um, kind of all in a rush, she said, oh, I, I, um, I, I, I can't buy any of your CDs I've already got them all. And I said, oh, that's fine. And she said, but I just wanted to tell you something. And I said, okay. And she said, I, I, a few years ago, I, I came to see you and Robin and Josie Long in Leeds when we did the Utter Shambles tour, mm. which was probably 2014? Yeah, a bit yeah. about then, 2013, um. 2014. We met at Billy Bragg's left field, where yes, many of did. our greatest relationships began, <laughs> near the tea urn and the basic biscuit selection, which says Billy Bragg. Please welcome to... I don't mean the biscuits he's deliberately had iced on. These are Billy he's Bragg. He's not He's taken a felt-tip pen. Yeah. Every single one of them. Property of Billy Bragg. Do not dunk. Anyway, so please welcome to the stage the singer, songwriter, broadcaster, and, broadcaster. and activist, <laughs> Grace Petrie! It's Grace Petrie, ladies and gentlemen. Grace Petrie! Grace Petrie! Hello. Oh, blimey. Hi, uh, how are you doing? I'm a bit out of breath. Uh... I thought someone else was on now, and she just came and sat down next to me at the back. And I was like, you're on. She's like, no, you are. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, no, I got my guitar. Um. And she said, and I um, came away from the gig just feeling really blown away by it, and I bought your CD, and I listened to it all that week. And I'd been in a really, really tremendously dark place, and I'd been having suicidal thoughts, and... And all this stuff, and and then at the end of that week, uh, just listening to your record on on repeat, I just admitted to myself that I'm gay. I've always been gay. I split up with my boyfriend, and uh, and now I'm just in a much 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 happier place. And you just don't, you know, you don't. Uh, I think people still, because it's not like in this country at least. Uh, you know, it's not illegal to be gay, and you're not, and you're. Hopefully you're far less likely, although you're not by by no stretch of the imagination is it over. But you're far less likely to receive the kind of abuse, you know, that was so like all consuming in previous decades for being gay. But I think it is because of that, it's kind of easy for us to think, you know, to underestimate how important representation is. I can't that's my new like the thing that I really feel so strongly about at the moment more than anything is that you, you can't you can't underestimate how important representation is you know the um the um talking about my uh, fraudulent uh, love of superheroes and comics um the um you know there's a tv program made of supergirl mm. and there's a her in her sister um supergirl's sister is comes out as gay in the second se season and kind of falls in love with this woman and they have a relationship and there was, an, when this kind of was first on TV a couple of years ago, there's this, um, someone who worked in a comic book store in America tweeted that this girl had come in who looked kind of absolutely afraid of her own shadow and really, really timid and came in and basically said, have you got, have you got any super, super girl comics? And then basically kind of ended up bursting into tears virtually in this, this, this woman who was working in the comic book store kind of virtually in her arms and just kind of came out to her there and then and just said that, you know, nothing had ever kind of made sense the way that seeing this relationship on this TV show had done. And now, you know, she was kind of just fully immersing herself in all of it. And, you know, obviously the what was lovely about it was that the, the woman who was kind of counselling her through this was also gay and she was like, you know, I was just looking at this kid and thinking... You know, this is like me 15 years ago. And I think you really can't, you really can't underestimate what that's like. And I really, I wonder, it fascinates me to think, 
you know, our, our media, our mainstream media is so like homogenous in terms of race and gender and heteronormativity and so many other things. And uh, like disabled representation is like awful, you know, next to none. And, um, and I just think I, sometimes I really wonder like what it must be like to be that thing that is the way that the cookie cutter of how a person navigates through the world where you know every what must it be like to be surrounded by so much representation that every screen you look at may as well be a mirror do you know what mm. i mean where every you know every every tv show has you in it you know and every book has you in it and every band looks like you and i re- i i have no idea what that's like you know i re- i do i do wonder what it's like because you know, me and my friends who are gay, like, God, we have just devoured the most awful fucking films and, and, and TV shows that are just awful quality. We always have done, you know, and it's like, um, you know, we know, they're, we know they're bad. Like, you know, there was, a, there, was a, there was a BBC lesbian drama called Lip Service a few years ago, which is just one of the worst things I've ever seen. I mean, no offence if the creator, <laughs> creator of Lip Service is listening to this, but... Because obviously, you know, in a way, we loved it. We all, we all, we've all fucking got it on DVD. We all think it's rubbish. But, like, you know, I think that's the thing when you're so starved of, of seeing yourself represented anywhere. You really can't underestimate what that's like. I what think. about things like Doctor Who? Because I mean, it seems to me that Doctor Who, it's interesting, a lot of the people that have grown up and become creative in, the, in their own way, mm-hmm. uh, Doctor Who was a lifeline to them. And yeah, that now and we have. Doctor Who, but you now have, if you were a kid, there would have been, you know, Bill, who was, a, you know, an assistant to Doctor Who. Who she's a lesbian and, and there's nothing really you know mm. she, she falls in love with a woman and all of that stuff and there's yeah. no uh, no one goes down. Wasn't there lesbian lizards? Yeah, there's. Uh, I think it's a it's a lesbian Silurian and uh, and a, a Victorian uh, kind of adventurer and they're, right. they're they're in a partnership yeah with yeah. a Sontar and Butler yeah. and um, he's just their servant so fair um, enough yeah. But, because lesbian but, lizard representation is at an all-time low as well at the moment, you know that's a. But that seems like that, that's like one of the starting points of just mm. going right. This is and kids don't care. No, kids don't care. Yeah, kids, kids don't. Care. Kids don't. Care. You know, if, when you do that bit of explaining how you know two women or two men that you know how they're married and why yeah. they're married, and, and it's like they're just yeah, yeah. we're just playing Minecraft. We're fine. Don't yeah. worry about it. Did you ever see? This might be a bit after your son's time. But my niece is uh, three and a half, and she's a big fan of Hey Dougie. Have you ever seen Hey Dougie? Not seen Hey Dougie. So Hey Dougie is just this thing on um, CBeebies, and uh, it's like he's a dog. He's a big dog, and he runs like it's basically like a um, cubs or beavers or something. It's like a little day, you know, activity thing, and everyone who comes to it is like a different animal. It's like a little elephant and a little crocodile and a monkey and. you know, a frog, I think. And they're all, like... <laughs> they're all actually the same size, which is curious. Um, but at the end... And it's, it's no big deal made of it at all. And most people maybe wouldn't have even noticed this. But at the end, when their parents come and pick them up, you've got, like, the monkeys picked up by two bigger monkeys. And then, like, the mouse is picked up by two bigger mouse Mice, sorry. And then there's, like, the crocodile is picked up by, like, an elephant. And... Like that's and it's so funny how like how I find that really beautiful. I know there's a lot of people in this world who would find that absolutely disgusting, and there are people who spend a lot of time writing comments to the Daily Mail. But I think the the care that went into that, you know, do you know what I mean? Because there will be kids who don't look like their fam, the, the people they live with, in the way that other kids that they go to nursery with look like the people that they live with. And I think, you know, to, to, to start that from such an early age, just to be like, you know, there is, there is no way to be a family. There's no one way to be a family. There's no one way that a family looks. You know, there's no, there's no reason why you will be the same race as the people in your family. There's no reason why, you know, you will have two men, uh, you know, a man and a woman at home with you. There's all manner of different ways you can have a family and they, that can look like anything. They can look like a crocodile and an elephant going home together. I just think it's really lovely. I know the book. If you haven't bought them already, books that uh, your niece will love. Mm. 
or you would at the very least love to give her. There's a series by a guy called Max, I think, I might well mispronounce this, Max Fichus. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's one called Frog in Love, and it's okay. Frog's confusion when he falls in love with his friend. Oh, right. And, uh, and there's just a series, and they're just beautifully done. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting talking about this, because of course you wrote a lovely song about um, Carl Sagan. If I could take down every inch of you in gold Engrave it in the metal of my soul And send it out to worlds beyond those now To find a cosmic gramophone No listener would ever understand The lightning bolts between two grains of sand Some people never witness shooting stars Most never know a love like ours didn't know my heart was closed till you came to unlock it yeah you found the perfect song and I couldn't stop it not for anyone so send it in a rocket yeah to play after I'm gone you're the plug that fits my socket all the lights came on um, we were talking before about this, and we were watching this morning that bit where someone has put up on on the internet the fact that various people apparently have been saying, I don't know what Carl Sagan would think about all these <laughs> yeah. arguments about diversity, and yeah. someone's found this great clip of uh, him from, I think, 1978 on the Johnny Carson show talking about Star Wars and saying how odd it is that despite the fact we're meant to see some kind of, here is the diversity of the universe, yeah. and yet everyone has the same colour of skin as me. Yeah. He's in charge, and, he, yeah. and, and then Galen Hoyt goes and Chewbacca doesn't get a medal. I and know, it's just it's yeah. a really nice piece of going, yeah. you know, 1978, here's the mm. scientist, and he's just saying... Mm. Yeah, you know, the Star Wars films, I suppose, are another example where they're just going. We need to mix this up more, mm. and you need to have mm. women who aren't just screaming and running away or tripping over. Yeah. And that's what and Bill. You'd that... like Bill on Doctor Who mm. in that yeah. last series. Yeah, I'll, it was, check it it was, um... I'll check it out. I will. I think, it, but it's like we, you know, you and I were having a conversation last night before our gig about, and, and you know, there's no reason to be afraid of inclusivity. I think that that's the thing is that, you know, you, you can look at all this stuff, you know, oh, I have to change the language of the ways that I use things. Yeah, okay, but you don't have to. It's just about making things available for everyone. Do you know what I mean? Like, and, and I think it's, it makes me so sad that people are made to feel by Daily Mail and, and that kind of horrible end of media, made to feel like I should be afraid of opening things up so that everyone can enjoy them. You know what I mean? That's all it is. That's really all it is. And I think, you know, we have enough. We have enough straight people on TV. You know, we have enough that I think it's. You know, it's not going to undermine anything. It's the same. It's like the old argument, isn't it? That you know, allowing same-sex marriage was going to undermine heterosexual marriages. Well, how is that? How is that possible? You know what I mean? Like, it, it, it's not. It doesn't take anything away from you, just to have other people represented as well. You know, other kinds of people who you know, you know, not everything is for everyone. Josie's got a line in her current bit of stand-up about that. Not everything is for everyone, but you know, some people have everything <laughs> when it comes to representation, when it comes to cultural images that look like them. And I think that we could do with redressing the balance of that a bit. But I think you know, maybe now that we've taken down Harvey Weinstein and uh, and we're taking down all of the you know, more kind of chauvinist, misogynistic kind of... And, that, you know, that, that thing we were talking about with um, the, the, old, the, old, the old school rough hero kiss from those, you know, from films that aren't even from that long ago. But, you know, it's all, it's all part of the messages that you don't realise, or I didn't realise as a kid. I didn't realise that, you know, stories, the, the amount that stories matter phenomenally because actually they're all laced with messages. It goes back to what we were saying about To Kill a Mockingbird, you know, all stories are laced with messages and, you know, when you become any kind of storyteller, I definitely consider what I do to be storytelling. I'm trying to convey a message in my stories and in my songs uh, that matters to me greatly and it makes me realise that when I was young, you know, I was I was being given messages uh, through all of the art that I was... Consuming. Sorry, that was that. She was like, 
Zorro, then. That's my girlfriend just came in and stole her laptop from under me without making a sound. It was like the, there was an opening of a, a show you'll never know about called Kung Fu, which starred David Carradine, which was mm. all, and it would show you the training to become this martial arts expert, and, oh, yeah. and you would have to walk upon rice paper without in any way breaking the rice paper. Oh, That's yeah. what we yeah. just saw. Absolutely. The silence of a clog dancer oh, yeah, is a very absolutely. beautiful thing. Yes. Thank you very much, Grace Peachy. We will. Um, you're off on tour on your own in May. I'm off in on May. tour on my own in May. Yeah, um, and um, I'm, I'm doing some shows with you before that. Yeah, all of these things you can find at my website, alongside, of course, my CDs. CDs. Thank you very much. CDs available in the foyer, <laughs> virtual and real. There's no such thing as a process singer Cos there's politics in everything we sing Oh, there's no such thing as a process singer We don't have none of those No, there's no such thing as a process singer We lost them when the mines all closed You know there's no such thing as a process singer Against austerity Oh, there's no such thing as a process singer I can't find them in the enemy No, I can't find them in the enemy uh, We want to say thank you for supporting the podcast to the following excellent people. Pete Biggs, Kevin Markwick, Ian Preston, Daniel Charlesworth, Molly Hanley, Rowan Dobbins, Paul Pesky, and Jim Dixon. Kevin Markwick uh, runs a lovely cinema. I think it's one of the oldest uh, running cinemas in the uh, UK. Oh, I might tell you another day. <laughs> Why do you want to have I bet you've done it. It's the one that uh, Joe Neary that used to run a gig oh, at. Oh, Lewis? Yeah, not in Lewis. It's near Lewis. Oh, yeah, OK. Yeah. Right, so I'm going to read out some of these quickly. Yeah. We've got different tiered rewards that are coming. So, And what they include is behind-the-scenes stuff, live YouTube Q&As, and we're going to have a book club as well with me and Robin and special guests. There'll be gig tickets. We've got tote bags, which are really funny, uh, beer guests on book shambles, etc. So if you go to patreon.com, forward slash book shambles or cosmic shambles.com this podcast is part of the cosmic shambles network josie robbins book shambles was produced by trent burton of trunkman productions 